You can have access through our place. Here's all of our money. Um, just don't kill us. That's, that's how bad this dude was, all right? He was uh, well bigger than the Chuck Norris of his day. So Alexander the Great um, had such a strict policy for his soldiers because this is what Alexander the Great believed. He believed that if you were part of the Roman army, then you lifted up his name in your actions. So if you're part of, of, of the Roman army, you were to act in such a way that brought honor to the emperor who was Alexander the Great. Well, as tradition has taught us, there was a, a young man that came along and he had pillaged a village and he had taken what was not his. And instead of giving it to the authorities in Rome for their use, he decided to keep it. Well... He got caught. So they dragging before Alexander the Great, who is one of the most important historical figures in all the world. And they throw him down before Alexander, and they tell the emperor what he's been charged with, that he was a, a Roman soldier who has been found guilty of stealing from the emperor. And so Alexander the Great looks at him, and he says, Son, tell me your name. And the boy laying on, on the ground with soldiers holding his arms up didn't say a word. He feared speaking before the emperor. He says again, son, tell me your name. He didn't say a word. The emperor stands. He said, I'm not going to tell you again. Tell me what your name is. And the boy whispered, my name is Alexander. History tells us that Alexander the Great paused and looked at him and then uttered the words, something along the lines, either change your name or change your ways because you don't represent me. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be a true believer. What are the characteristics of being a true follower of Christ, someone who has the name and the action of a believer. In the South, we are really bad about just saying because we're in Alabama that everyone is a believer. Because we're in the South, right here at the belt buckle, like Nashville is the mega capita of Southern Baptist life, and, and we're 150 miles south of that. So we're like the belt loop of the Bible belt, and, and there's churches on every corner. In fact, I was talking with someone who is recently recently moved here and, and he's like Jeff I just you know we're, we're trying churches out and all this stuff and and I just don't know which one to go to because there's so many of them he said it, we, we just kind of googled Baptist churches within our our area and he said within 10 miles of his house he lives in Henson, there, there were something like 64 Baptist churches he said how do we know which one to go to I said well pick one with the best looking pastor so He's not here. <laughs> and so, but he, he's right. How do, we, how do we know which church is, is for us? And how do we know that every church, you know, you, you can certainly look and see who's teaching the Bible. Um, there, there's scripture that tells us in, in the last days in which I believe we're in, people will turn their ears away from sound doctrine and turn them to um, what pleases them. In fact, there's mega churches built on that principle right now. What we want to look at is what are the nuts and bolts of what the Apostle Paul tells the church in Rome that believers will be about. 
Because I think there's some non-negotiables that every believer will adhere to. I believe there's some non-negotiables that we find in Scripture that the Apostle Paul is going to say, if you've been blood-bought, these will be in your life. If you've been ransomed by Jesus, then these characteristics will stand out in who you are. So if you've got your copy of the Word of God, go with me to Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. The Apostle Paul is talking to the church in in Rome, who has been afflicted by persecution, and they have been beat down, but they are not out. And he tells them, starting in verse 9, he says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in your zeal, but be fervent in your spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thanks. Though to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your holy and perfect word. God, use me to speak to your people today. May we spend time with your Holy Spirit today. Draw us in. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So what what does it mean to be a believer in our day? What does it mean to be 100% sold out? Because here's the fear. We've been walking through Hebrews in our Wednesday night um, prayer session. We we do that here. If you're sitting at home on Wednesday night, you're missing one of the greatest things that we're doing at our church. It is a a moment where we we dig in the Word intently for the purpose of the edification of the Spirit. And, And so we've been walking through Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 10, it talks about people who will look like a Christian They may even go to church. They know the lingo. They can say, bless his heart. And they can say all of those things. In fact, they may even have a a, a Christian t-shirt. They might be able to sing you all three verses of Amazing Grace. They they probably have been on a Sunday school roll their entire life. But they're, they're no more saved than the pagan on the street selling crack. That's paraphrased, of course. And so... What does it mean to be a true believer? When Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and now we're living this life, what does that look like? The Apostle Paul needed the church in Rome to understand that if you're going to claim the name of Jesus, if he owns your heart, then there's things in your life that are going to look different. He tells them first, he says, believers are to be known by their love. Believers are going to be known by their love. And I'm not talking about that word. You know, we use love a lot. I, I tell my wife, oh, oh, baby, I love you. And then last night she cooked some peach dumplings, and I said, oh, I love them peach dumplings. 
well, I love my wife a little more than I love peach dumplings. Right? I, I tell you, I, I love pizza. Well, I love my wife. So we use this word. So, so what does it mean? The, the Apostle Paul uses a Greek word here called agape. And that agape is, in the Greek term, it is the highest level of love that man can achieve. There's three different ones. There's an arios, which is, is maybe how we would say I love pizza. We would use the arios verb. There's a phileo love, which phileo, if you are, are familiar with the city of Philadelphia, that's where that word is. It's the city of brotherly love. Phileo mean brotherly. So I would tell you, like if I told Trent, brother, I love you. Um, that's a, a brotherly love. I love him because he's a believer. He's in Christ. So I, I'm telling him that. But the word agape is not used often in scriptures. It's the highest level of love. It's the love in which when, when in John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world. It's the agape word. When it says, husbands, love your wife in Ephesians 5, it's agape love. We're talking about the deepest love and the deepest passion for people. And yet, when, when the Apostle Paul writes to the church in, in Rome, he says, he says, when he says, let your love be genuine, he says, let your agape love be genuine. Let it be genuine. Don't let it be counterfeit. You love without expecting anything back. Love is not an emotion. We've bought the lie that we, we live in a lifetime movie script and our love is based off of our feelings. I don't feel love. I choose to love. I choose to love. Some people make it really easy to love. Some people are difficult to love. The Apostle Paul said, I don't care who they are. Let your love be genuine. So what does it mean to have what does it mean to have genuine love in 2017? We live in a world. I was just I was talking with someone this morning. Last year in Alabama, there were 37,000 marriages in the state of Alabama. There were 17,500 divorces. We're almost 50% in the most evangelistic state in the nation. We've lost what it means to love genuinely. We've lost what it means to love with affection and purpose we think our emotions are connected to our feelings and i know not every divorce works like that and i'm not casting stones if you've been there but what i am saying as a culture we have cheapened the word so much that we don't even really know how to use it or what it means he says let your love be genuine love must never be used for ulterior motives don't love someone because of what you can get out of it don't love someone for, for what they bring to the table. If they've got all the cool toys, that doesn't mean that's a reason to love them. If you're, if you're courting someone and you know they've got a lot of money, that's not the reason to get married. Because if you don't love them before you get married, you won't love them once you marry them. We, we love without any strings attached. We love no matter what comes at us. And so as the people of God, as the people who have been redeemed, we show love and we're not, we're not holding strings. I don't love you because you bring something to the table. I love you because I've first been loved. I love you because Christ has loved me. And out of the overflow of Christ's love for me, I can love you. I will tell you, just because we're in church and we're supposed to be honest up here, I struggle I struggle showing people love. I, I come across sometimes, and I, I don't mean it, it's not like I, I wake up one morning and say, let me see who I can be brash to, but my, my natural like flesh version of Jeff is not very lovingly. I, I wake up and, and part of my prayer every day is, God, let me love more. 
God, let me love the people you're going to place in my life today. Let me show them love. Let me hold back my sarcasm. Let me hold back my wit. And may I show them the love of Christ above everything else. We don't love people because of what they're bringing to the table. We love them because Christ has loved us. True love is free from all pretense and hypocrisy. True love is free from all pretense and hypocrisy. We don't, we don't love because of the situation. We don't love because, because of what they're, they're saying. We, we love because Christ has called us to. John Calvin said, It's difficult to express how ingenious man is because he will counterfeit love which he really does not possess. Man has become very good at counterfeiting love to get what he wants. I was counseling some teenage girls, Katie and I were, a couple of years ago, and, and if, if you don't know that, that premarital sex among teenagers is on the rise, you've been living under a rock. And we were counseling these teenage girls, and, and just their stories were crushing me because they all had these boyfriends and their boyfriends were telling them they were saying well if you love me you'll, you'll do this if you love me you will do this and they pressure they use peer pressure they use that L word and we throw it around and, and they fell victim to a lie that it, it, somehow sex was connected with love and, and the boys didn't love the girls. The boys looked at the girls as an ends to a means, means to an end. And so they, they came to us and they're, they're weeping and they're crushed because these girls love Jesus. And they, they're like, we just don't know how we got here. We don't know how, we, we, he said he loved me. He said this and he said that. And if, if he really loved you, and this is what we kept trying to express to them, if he really loved you, he wouldn't push you there. If he really loved you and respected you as a woman, he wouldn't pressure you there. What happened was you became means to a fleshly end. Men have been counterfeiting love, and men aren't alone in this. That's just the word John Calvin put. We counterfeit love often to get what we want. When the Bible has never declared that to be okay. It says, let your love be genuine. Apart from pretense, apart from hypocrisy, and apart from ulterior motives. Then he says, have a brotherly love. <clears throat> so how do we show brotherly love? You and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. How do we show brotherly love? Scripture tells us in verse 10, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't let someone outdo you in serving them. When was the last time you served someone and not gotten anything in return? We've got a couple of, of men here who I love, and they're just some of the greatest guys in our church. They serve and serve well. They never ask for a thank you. In fact, you probably don't even know they're doing it. They get here early or they come late when everyone's gone, and they serve. They do their job. They do what we ask them to do. They don't ask for thank yous. They don't ask for recognition. They outdo people in showing honor and showing love. They show up in people's houses and they rake their yards. They, they take food to those who are sick and they serve and they outdo one another. 
they, they realize that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. God's never called us to be long rangers, always called us to be unified, so they see it as part of what God's called them to do. So they outdo each other in showing honor. They're not selfish. But also, we must abhor what is evil. We have to get into to a place in our culture where we stop being okay with sin. We've got to get in a place in our culture where we stop being okay with sin. He tells the church, abhor what is evil. Call it for what it is. It's not a disorder, it's sin. It, it, it's not a, a medical issue, it's a sin issue. It's a sin issue. He says, call it what it is. Call sin evil. God's never changed his mind on sin. No, can you get me a glass of water, brother? Call it what it is. Stop being okay. Stop being culturally okay and culturally sensitive to sin. If the Bible declares it sinful, it's sinful. Call it what it is. If you love your brother, you will call it sin. Stop justifying it. Stop justifying it. I've heard this so much it makes me sick. Well, that's not my business. I'm going to stay out of it. No, are they a believer? Yes, it's your business. If they're a believer, it's your business. You don't walk in judging. You walk in loving and you tell them what is true. You tell them what is right and you show them grace. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> we don't justify sin. We live in a world that says, let each be his own. Let each be his own and we'll all be okay. The Bible doesn't speak there. The Bible doesn't declare that. The Bible tells us, call sin, sin. Stop justifying it. Hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. We live in a day in which all that is good is fleeing. We live in a day when all that is good is fleeing. You remember the day when you, you had to get here early to get your back row seat. You remember a day when parking was difficult, and it will be in three weeks. You remember those days, but the day is fleeing. You remember being able to turn your TV on in prime time with your family and not worry about what was going to come on. You don't have that luxury anymore. You remember being able to, to go to school and, and know your kids were going to be safe and they weren't going to be taught doctrine that is against the Word of God. Now you don't have that luxury. Hold fast to what is good. Most of you know I, I tend, to, tend to stand more in the contemporary camp when it comes to worship. But if we ever lose the hymns, we've lost a lot of doctrine. When we think back on the hymns, the hymns were written to hold and preserve what was good. Just as I am without one plea. We think about amazing grace. Jesus paid it all. We hold what is good. We hold what is true. Because the evil day has arrived. Never rely on your wisdom. If we're going to show, if we're going to show brotherly love, we must never rely on our wisdom. My wisdom will fail you. 
My wisdom will fail you. We, we trust in the Lord for our wisdom. He is our wisdom. He is what makes us wise. When King David came to be king and, and he, he grew up, he asked the Lord for wisdom. He didn't ask him for power. He didn't ask him for money. He said, Lord, make me wise. We don't trust in our wisdom. It will fail. We trust in the wisdom of the Lord. And we never repay sin with sin. Someone's done you wrong. Someone's hurt your feelings. Someone's attacked your family. Don't repay evil with evil. It's easy to do. So somebody treated me bad. I'm going to slam them on Facebook. Y'all better get ready. Someone's done me wrong. Here it comes. Scripture says don't repay evil for evil. Don't repay sin. If they've done you wrong, leave it to the Lord because I promise you whatever the Lord brings is going to be a lot worse than anything you can conjure up. I'm always, I'm always, I'm always a little lamb blasted when people attack the church. It's in my church. You wonder why my name's not on the sign? It's not my church. God's placed me as the pastor here. It's always his church. Always his church. People ask me, well, you know, somebody was talking bad about your church. Well, that's okay. Why is that okay? Because that's God's bride. And I know how mad I'm going to get if you're going to talk about my bride. The Lord's going to handle his business. Don't talk about his bride. He gets pretty serious about it. We never repay sin for sin. Someone's done you wrong, let it go. Someone's harmed you, let it go. It's not about you. It's about the Lord. The Lord declares vengeance. It belongs to him. Never avenge yourself. Believers will be known by their generosity. Believers are going to be known by their generosity. How generous are you? How often do you give your life and money away? We live in this world that says, gimme, 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 gimme. Right? Chick-fil-A has spoiled us all. Like you order at Chick-fil-A, by the time you get to the window, they're handing you chicken. Like it's just that fact. We want it now. We want life now. We want all we can get. We, we've bought into this consumeristic life that says we want it all. We want it now. And yet the Bible teaches us, give it away. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Feed him. Anybody letting somebody in your house tonight that you know they hate you? Have you invited somebody over that you know they can't stand you? We give to the needy. I'm just like you, though. When I roll up at a stop sign and I see somebody holding a cardboard sign, I think the same thought you think. I mean, if I give them this, they're going to go buy alcohol. They're going to go buy drugs. They're not going to use it. I've heard more stories about broken fan belts and diapers than I ever care to admit. But listen, it's not my responsibility to judge what people do with God's money. God hasn't let me be the treasurer of his kingdom. He's told me to give and give generously. Stop saving up for a life that you'll never live. Start living the life that God's called you to live now. We give to the needy. But not only do we give to the needy, but we also <clears throat> we're kind to your enemy. We become kind to our enemies. We don't 
We don't seek to take them down. We don't seek to undermine them or kind to them. We feed them when they're hungry and we give them drink when they're thirsty. He concludes this thought by saying, overcome, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil. He said, a true believer will overcome evil with what is good. You live in a day when evil seems to be winning. We live in a day when evil seems to have the leg up. The Apostle Paul is telling the church in Rome, overcome. Overcome. Don't give into the society. Don't give into the culture. Don't give into what people are saying. You overcome it. First century Rome had, had such an impact on, on the city that they affected the economic dollar. There were idol makers in Rome who were making idols. They had, they had hundreds of false gods and they were, they were building idols to them. And so people's job, they were idol makers. They would, they would whittle wood idols or they would cast them in metal. And the church got so powerful in the day of, 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 of the book of Romans that they began to affect the bottom dollar. The people were going hungry who used to make idols because the church stood up and called evil, evil. The church stood up and said, we're not going to buy your idols. We're not going to buy your trinkets. We're not going to declare your gods because we know that Jesus is the one true God. We know he is Lord of lords. We know he is king of kings and we know he's coming back. So we're living in such a way that we're overcoming evil with all that is good. Why do we let evil persist? The Apostle Paul gives us characteristics. He says, you'll love, you'll be generous, and you'll overcome. You'll overcome evil with good. Are those characteristics in your life? When people look at you, do they they see the love of Christ being displayed in how you live? Don't let this roll off your back. If these characteristics aren't evident in your life, the Apostle Paul is going to argue as you keep reading, you're not a believer. If you don't love because Christ has loved you, you're not a believer. If you're stingy, if you're stingy with what God has given you, he says, the the joy of Christ isn't in you. A believer should have a passion for giving to the needy. A believer should have, you, you should long for chances to give to those who are less fortunate. You don't begrudge the opportunity. You, you look for it with joy. And you outdo evil with good. When was the last time you made a stand for Christ? When was the last time you stood against the grain? When was the last time you stood against what was popular and you stood on the foundation of the Bible and you said, this is good, I'm standing right here. Don't bow to the culture. Bend the culture. Change the narrative. Apostle Paul said these are characteristics of a believer. Do you have these characteristics in you? Do people see this in you? Have people validated this in you? If not, why don't you come to an altar this morning? Why don't you come down and pray that the Lord will make you bold? The Lord will make you strong, that he'll give you a backbone, and he'll give you wisdom. Scripture says you've received not, 
because you haven't asked for it. Why don't you do what God's calling you to do today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the call that we should have characteristics that, that represent you. Lord, we pray, God, that you would do a work in this time of invitation. If there's someone here who, who's never been saved, then, Father, they won't have any of these characteristics. They won't have any of them. They have a hard heart, and they won't be stingy with what they have, and they won't care about what's good. Lord, I pray, Father, that you will do a work in someone's life. But we trust you. We trust that you're going to do that in which only you can do today. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.